Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Andrea Fried, Associate Professor at Linkshaping University. We'll be discussing the book, Understanding Deviance in a World of Standards, of which Fried is editor and co-author. I'll have a link to the book in the show notes for the episode. Andrea, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Every day, we are surrounded by standards. They are so ubiquitous, and I'm looking around the room right now, and I, I see evidence of them, artifacts of them already, but they're so ubiquitous that we don't really notice them day to day. Just to level set, to introduce this topic for the listeners, what are standards? What roles do they play in our material and organizational lives? And what's some of the history of the standards that govern our lives or affect our lives in many ways? Yes, indeed. We are surrounded by standards. And a standard could be about making a product, managing a process, delivering a service or supplying materials. So the standard cover a huge range of economic human activities. They enable systematic reproduction and consistency of products and processes. And basically, they are contributing to our safe and reliable, good quality and services of, and products we are using in everyday life. Examples could be quality management standards, which help to work more efficiently and reduce product failures. These could be environmental management standards, which help to reduce environmental impacts, reduce waste, or simply being more sustainable in, for instance, using energy. Could be food safety standards that help to prevent food from being contaminated or IT security standards. So there are many standards that have an effect on our everyday life. But interestingly, citizens often call for standards in particular when standards are absent or when they are having negative effects on uh, human life, safety or the environment. Just to remind on uh, several events that happened in the past uh, where also the public showed a huge interest in standards. For example, in 2015, the Grenfell Tower in London, which was a residential tower block in North Kensington, was affected by a severe fire uh, where also 72 people died. And there was an ongoing question whether actually the renovated building was renovated or constructed according to fire safety standards and maintenance practices. I just recall the Rana Plaza accident, which is also known as the Dhaka Garment Factory collapse in Bangladesh in 2013, where a number of people died, but also scandals like the Volkswagen emission scandal in 2015. So there are quite a number of standards that are called and recognized when actually our standards not in place or when they are violated. But also, on the other side, not only citizens are interested in standards, firms also call for standards to ensure their market share, for instance. They want to rely on a certain technology, state-of-the-art, for, for instance, how software is uh, tested for reliability, or also to ensure, for instance, that a common charger is used, for instance, in the European Union, so that we have actually a reliable 
processes and yeah, products we actually can refer to. And maybe what is also a nice summary of this, these standards are actually affecting our lives as a kind of preventive innovation. So to ensure that we have a safe, reliable products and services around us. Standards touch really so many aspects of our lives, not everything, but almost everything under the sun in terms of whether it's the material world that we find ourselves in, the products that we use, the buildings that we uh, live in and work in, or the processes that go into producing all of those things or the software products that we use or that affect our lives. I wonder if we could talk about the origins of standards, just where they come from. You talk a little bit about a citizen impetus, but are these standards typically emerging as the result of just emergent order? They emerge and there's a convergence around them and they aren't written down, but they are followed across a a particular domain or, or practice? Is there intentional private ordering going on where, say, industry groups are getting together and coming up with appropriate standards uh, for technologies or processes? Or is there state action or is it a combination of these various origins? How do standards come about? First of all, a standard is a document established by consensus and approved by a recognized body. This could be, for instance, the International Organization for Standardization that provides, and these kind of bodies provide a common and repeated use and rules of guidelines. And these standards should be based on the consolidated results of science, technology, and experience with the aim to achieve an optimum community benefit. So these standardizing bodies, they are recognized at a national, regional, or international level that has a principal function to include as many stakeholders uh, as possible. Approaching these standardization bodies can be individuals, this can be uh, companies, it can be different non-profit organizations that have an interest in finding a, a certain kind of consensus to regulate or to standardize products or, or services. And sometimes standards translate legal regulations into practical guidance. So, for instance, we have a medical device law where the International Standardization Organization sets standards, for instance, tissue engineered medical products. So they basically also translate regulations into standards to help also to different kinds of companies engaging in medical technology to refer to practical guidelines. On the other side, sometimes also become actually the basis for legal or inspire legal legislation. So we see the attempts of creating supply chain confidence by standards, but also how, for instance, in Germany, they're trying to create an appropriate supply chain. And this also gets inspiration from standards. So there are both ways possible that on the one hand side, uh, standards can become a basis for legal legislation and also the other way around. In some ways, it's easy to imagine all the benefits of standardization today, of having people on the same framework or having products, services, technologies, processes that have been carefully vetted by technical communities. wonder what the impact of standards are tomorrow and the day after that in terms of innovation. What impact does standardization have on innovation? Does it facilitate innovation in some ways? Are there ways that it inhibits innovation? How should we be thinking about that relationship between standards today and innovation tomorrow? It's a very good question. And it also puts, and your 
question and your description also puts already a timeline into standards and standardization, which I think it's a, it's quite important. Uh, on the one hand side, of course, standards themselves, they shall reduce variance and ensure reliable processes and products, which to some extent also put a certain state of technology, a certain innovation into stone. And this also, of course, has an effect on future innovations, future explorations within companies. And it is an ongoing question among researchers in the area of corporate governance and standardization research. How is this relationship between standards and innovation? One of the most interesting studies uh, from the early 2000, 2002-2003 that were provided by Benner and Tashman actually show that there is a kind of what they call a crowding out effect of uh, standards on innovation. So they found that there's a tendency that incremental innovations increase after the implementation, for instance, quality management standards like uh, ISO 9000. But what we found in our research is that there are companies that are actually dealing quite well and see also the challenges of implementing standards. So they develop over time also ability really to understand what are the um, possibilities but what are also the, the limitations of standards. When these companies are able to monitor also the effects on sometimes inhibiting effects for innovation in their environment, then they also might be able really to see in which ways they can actually also influence or develop standards themselves. So on the one hand side, they have the option to talk to auditors, also to explain their situation and see what in their specific situation standards might enable or might constrain. They also have the opportunity to be engaged in standards standardization bodies to adjust or to develop new standards. And this is what we call a, a kind of an ability for reflexive monitoring of the effects of standards. So the companies that don't see that standards are really set in stone, but really understand what are the limitations and what are the opportunities of standards are actually those ones who handle this relationship between innovation and standards quite well. We have one example that where software engineers in that case say, yeah, handling standards is something like working on eggshells. That's an ongoing learning process, how to implement, but also when the time is ripe to change standards or to be engaged in the adjustment of standards. And that's what I think it's also quite unique and important capability, competence of organizations really to handle these more routine-orientated standards on the one hand side, reducing variance, ensuring reliable processes on the one hand side, but also see how is innovation and not only incremental, but also fundamental innovation possible. That's the timeline you were introducing to this question and to see how they learn over time when there is a standard also has or develops limits which where the requirements are actually not suitable anymore for a future innovation. And that's a certain competence that companies need to develop. You talk about how standards tend to reduce variance in organizational governance and behavior. They have a, a converging effect. But this book is focused on deviance in the context of standards. Could you talk a little bit about that concept of deviance? What do you mean by deviance and how 
uh, it conflicts or is in tension with this overall narrative of standards as reducing variation and, and providing some convergence a- across organizations. Yeah, first of all, demons is a quite interesting concept. I think in the researchers uh, who are more engaged into law, into legal legislation, corporate governance, they see deviance more as a term that is connected to dysfunctional negative behavior. Uh, of organizations, whereas innovation researchers see deviance is necessary actually to create for for creativity for uh, innovative behavior. So what we are trying to do in this uh, book is actually to combine both connotations of deviance in this term and to see okay there are always positive and negative of deviance, but it deviance from standards, but it depends also on the person who is defining what is positive and negative. What is positive for one organization can be constraining or negative for the society and the other way around. So what we introduce in this book is the um, concept uh, of the second order observation of organizational deviance from standards. And what we basically say is that when talking about deviance, we actually need to be very precise what we actually mean in the end. This can, Talking about organizational deviance has basically three aspects. The one is uh, the descriptive aspect where a certain observer, this can be a researcher, this can be uh, an organizational member, this can be other, for example, in auditing processes for the certification of standards, this can be where an observer states the deviation as a fact. But then we also have to include that there is a normative aspect where also an observer assesses the deviation with respect to a certain point of compliance. So we put also an assessment on this. And then we also, what we mean by deviance and what we have also in mind is uh, quite often also the sanctioning aspect when, where an observer relates the assessment to a negative or positive consequence of deviation. And when talking about deviance from standards, we have to be quite precise what we actually mean. Otherwise, these three concepts become unclear. Do we talk about a certain fact? Do we talk about the, this assessment? Is it good or bad for somebody? And actually also, how should it be sanctioned in the end for the, against the society internally in an organization? And this is what we are trying to also explain in the book, that this concept needs some more clarification. It is also then important to understand, to see how actually standards affect governance and behavior in organizations in different ways. In the book, you and your co-authors offer three case studies of deviance and standards. And each case study, you go in depth. Each one is a, a chapter. But I wondered if you could maybe introduce those case studies to give listeners an idea of what deviance might look like in the standards context. We have three different case studies. They are in-depth ethnographic studies uh, over several pages, which we also use today in different courses at the university as teaching cases, really to see in-depth what does it mean to enact, to implement standards in organization, and to what extent also the organization is responsible or its managers on different hierarchical levels also responsible for providing the specific context that the standards can be enacted in a suitable way. 
There are three cases that basically describe, on the one hand side, uh, a company what, uh, that is called in the book Crane Solutions. That describes a little bit the, the case I mentioned before. This is a company that accomplishes attentive deviance where we see, okay, they see the limits of standards, but they also see that there is a need to commit to standards because they are producing cranes uh, for railway. Of course, if there are severe mistakes are done in, for instance, software development, it can affect human life. So they have on the one hand side a quite awareness uh, that this is an important step to follow the standards, but they also see on the other side, they need also negotiate to some extent the requirements in order to stay innovative. And what they have is that we saw they have a quite adequate provision of resources to follow standards in terms of personal, in terms of documentation possibilities, in terms of finding enough time also to test uh, software in a reliable manner. So there are many aspects where they are able to actually enforce standard enactment in such a way that they on the one hand side see we have space where we can negotiate the requirements but on the other side also to see that it is important that our, what we are producing in the end is something where our clients or customers can use it in a safe manner. And this is also what we see in the discussions, standards or the meaning of standards is communicating. They see it as something as central and important with all their limitations for their development work. Then we had another company where we saw they're also quite committed to follow the standards in their software development. That was uh, a case in the medical technology industry. But at the same time, we also saw that especially in software engineering, the engineers found themselves in a situation where they said, we actually overconformed standards, which is a quite interesting case because that's what you actually don't expect that organizations overconform to standards. And they're saying we are quite affected by documentation, by the milestones. I said, we're adding more and more steps to the process, but this is also what hinders to some extent our innovative capacity. And the engineer said, yeah, we are quite living in a kind of a comfort zone. So what their regulatory affairs unit was also quite keen on that these are standards followed by the book. And they had also adequate resources, but hardly any discussion about what are the limitations of standards? What are the things they actually cannot develop for the future in terms of new features for their medical technology instruments. So they clearly uh, could express that there is a limitation that was not widely discussed within the organization. And then we had a company that was creating engineering concepts for metro trains for the Chinese market. And that was in so far an interesting case as especially the software engineers, they were really willing to follow the standards. But in the course of time, we saw in this development process, since the Chinese client was actually not really interested in that, in the end, the product or the engineering concept that was delivered to them really followed the standard. There were not enough or not as strict regulations, for instance, in the US or in, within Europe, how such an engineering concept and the train should be developed and also produced. So over time, we saw they understood it 
costs a lot of more time and resources really to follow the standards. And the software engineers actually pretty much came under pressure to create their engineering concept in a reduced manner. So they were, on the one hand side, missing resources in terms of time and personal. They also haven't had the opportunity also to document in a certain manner. And they were all little bits and pieces where also the software engineers in the end found themselves in a situation where they thought it is on us to argue for standards. It was not the client, it was not the middle management that actually supported them to deliver a reliable product. It was actually more the other way around. And that can happen in situations where especially also these external sanctioning mechanisms don't work anymore where they have a quite also weak internal sanctioning system and also where uh, not enough resources are provided to uh, develop software in a reliable, compliant manner. This book is also an attempt to explain it is not just bad behavior. It is not just something that can be explained from a psychological point of view, but also an attempt to make visible what are the organizational antecedents that actually can also lead to positive deviance, but also to negative deviance in organizational activities like software development. What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this conversation and from the book? What are the key takeaways? I think there are three groups for policymakers. It is actually how to set incentives and sanctions right, how to motivate organizations to comply with standards and to understand what are actually the internal organizational drivers for deviating from standards. This can be for different reasons. And for standardizers, it is how to formulate standards in a non-constraining manner without losing actually their effectiveness. And for researchers, it is on one hand side, uh, the recommendation also really to look into details, to look in depth what actually happens with corporate governance rules, with standards, after they are actually set up and prescribe for organizations and to understand really what is going on inside. We are now on our way to generalize our results further for corporate governance research, which goes beyond software development and the related standards, also for other legal and quasi-legal rules. And for us, it was a, a very interesting journey really to uh, beside also the quantitative study that has been done in the field really to look inside over many months to follow up what is the history of standards within organizations, what happens to them, and what are also the challenges nowadays to deal with standards in a world where many standards are available, needs to be followed, and have such a strong effect on everyday life. Our guest today has been Andrea Fried, Associate Professor at Linköping University. We discussed the book, Understanding Deviance in a World of Standards, of which Freet is editor and co-author. I'll have a link to the book in the show notes for the episode. Andrea, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.